0: Well, today's topic, uh, I'm just so excited. I'm going to share with you a topic that I have entitled, History Lesson, The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. So the Bible doesn't only share a lot of stories about individuals or prophetic messages, poetry. There's a lot of history in the Bible. And if the history is part of the biblical canon then I guess we're probably going to be able to find in history some illustrations of great truths that we can remember, and also I think it can serve as an admonition for the future generations. I think history can, can also help with that. But I think even intertwined in the history that we find in the Bible, we can find the essential elements of the plan of salvation. So uh, we want to start off with 1 Corinthians ten eleven, just to put a... a A solid ground here. So it says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So today we're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. You know that there has, as you look in the Bible, there was no other furniture in the earthly tabernacle that dresses so many historical facts. So that's why it's so important that that we go through these facts that are registered in the Bible. Let's see what lessons we can learn from the history of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, We do remember that this was the only furniture where God would manifest a special divine presence. the Shekinah glory. So, you know, there's many passages in the Bible that describes God living between the, the cherubims or over the cherubims that were part of the Ark. And so uh, we're going to go through the history of the ark really quick, all right? The first thing I want to do is talk about the contents that were kept inside the ark, okay? So, so let's start with that because that's one of the most interesting aspects of the ark is the contents that were inside. So let, let, let's just think that today you were receiving a bar of gold worth $250,000. How many of you would like to receive that? I would. <laughs> but the question is, where would you keep it? So a lot of people think that the bank is a good place, you know. People believe that banks are secure, so they go to the vault and they keep, you know, their precious stones or or their jewelry or whatever, you know. And and other people don't trust banks, and so what they do, they try to find a hiding place. You know, some people would hide that bar of gold in a a place that no one knows. Some people are so crazy when they want to hide something that's valuable that they'll put it right in front of your eyes. But they'll put it in such a way that you won't even discover, they'll they'll fool you. Like there was this one guy that literally had his most precious valuables in these jars of glass inside a chicken pen. Who would imagine? In those, you know, jars of whatever, you know, he had hidden his treasure in there. Some people hide their treasure so well, but don't enjoy it because they never use it. And then they die, and the secret goes with them, and then no one else enjoys the treasure either, unless by coincidence someone finds it. But if God was to place His treasure somewhere, where where would He put it? Okay? So, so, So let's talk about this. So in the Bible we find that God gave the children of Israel some treasure. And that treasure was supposed to be kept in a treasure chest. And they were supposed to keep it in the temple in the temple, in the most holy place of the tabernacle, okay? And of course, later on, centuries later, that treasure was hidden, and we still don't know where it's at. You know, it's a secret till this day. But the question today is, what was in that treasure chest? What were the treasures? And what purpose did those treasures have for the children of God? Why was God's ark, Supposed to be in the most holy place. So, there's a lot of things that, that, that we need to discuss today. So, uh, what was the name of that ark? Some, some of you remember some of the other names, like the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? The, the treasure chest that God gave to the children of Israel was called the Ark. Now, that ark was covered with gold, so it was a, it was a really, really nice furniture. I mean, it was, it was top notch. It had two tables of stone inside. Precious stones. And what was written on those stones? The Ten Commandments, written by who? You guys know this, okay? So it was written by God's finger, okay? And and Moses refers to these facts later on, like in Deuteronomy 5.22, if you want to look it up, Deuteronomy 5.22. These words, the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire. Remember when, when he presented the Ten Commandments, all that went on? In the cloud, in the thick darkness, the loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So he's just remembering, you know, the, the, the story. Exodus 25, 21 and 22. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Now, we have to recall that Moses got really upset when he came down from that mountain with those precious stones with the Ten Commandments written on. Because when he was coming down, he heard a lot of noise. But it wasn't just any noise. It was the noise of idol worship. So imagine what's going on. I mean, God had just barely talked to them. They had made a covenant with God. And now Moses comes down from the mountain, sees what's going on. They're they're, they're worshiping this, this, this golden calf. He saw the children of Israel committing an act of idolatry. He throws those two precious stones where the Ten Commandments were written. They shattered into pieces. Moses was upset. But why was he so upset? God had announced, the Ten Commandments from the mountain, from Mount Sinai. He had made a covenant with his people. They had responded affirmative that they were going to keep that covenant. They were going to keep that law. So when Moses breaks those stones with the Ten Commandments, he was literally saying that they had broken the covenant. They had broken the covenant. Because for a covenant to be fulfilled, both parties have to be faithful, right? Now, one of the things I love about God is that he showed them mercy. Amen. <laughs> he showed them mercy. He forgave them. So Moses went up to the mountain again. This time he had to carve the stones. <laughs>
1: okay,
0: So he had to carve the stones. But God wrote the Ten Commandments again on two tables of stone. And you can find that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. It says, So I made an ark of acacia wood hewed two tablets of stone like the first and went up to the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you from the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made. And there they are just as the Lord commanded me. So I find it very interesting how the tabernacle which covered the ark was also known as a tabernacle of the testimony. So, so, so check this out. So we have, we have the, uh, uh, the ark with the Ten Commandments, okay? But then the whole tabernacle was also known because of the Ten Commandments being in the ark. It was known as the tabernacle of the testimony. And the book of the law, which was placed on the side, remember, with all the rituals and, and all the other stuff, It also contained the Ten Commandments. They were also written in there. So even that book which recorded the Ten Commandments was also known as the Testament. Now, the Ten Commandments became known as the Stones of the Covenant also. We can find that in the Bible, the Stones of the Covenant or the Tables of the Covenant. And because the Ark had the Ten Commandments, it was known as the Ark of the Covenant. And once again, the book... It was on the side that Moses wrote. It also contained the Ten Commandments, so it was considered the book of the covenant, the book of the covenant. Forty years later, as an elderly person, Moses reviews the experience to prepare the nation to conquer the the promised land, right? And he mentions in public the glorious occasion when he was with God on the mountain. So that's in Deuteronomy 9.9. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, Then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread or drank water. Chapter 10, verse 8. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to Him, and to bless His name to this day. So, what else was in the Ark? So, we know the Ten Commandments were there. Which is the basis of the whole covenant. But then we had manna in there. Remember there was a little jar of manna in there? So manna is the bread from where? The bread from heaven that God had given to the Israelites during their pilgrimage in the desert. But it also was a symbol of God's word, the spiritual food for all those that want to be part of God's kingdom. And then if we go to the New Testament, we find that Jesus, the Son of God, is the word incarnate that gives life to all those that spiritually want to be fed by His Word. The Gospels use manna as a symbol of Christ. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about the hidden manna. Remember that? The hidden manna. And who's the hidden manna going to go to? Those that overcome. Okay, the Bible says those that are victorious in the spiritual warfare. Another element that God wanted in the ark was Aaron's rod. But it wasn't just any ordinary rod. Imagine this this walking cane had flourished it had blossomed and it had even given almonds <laughs> so imagine that so this was this was incredible you can find that in, in number 17 and so this rod represented the priesthood that God had chosen and also a symbol of the priesthood of the son of God but it also carried implicitly a death decree so so listen to this a death decree against those that were ambitious in the priesthood and did not reunite the conditions of service. It was also a sign of grace because they pointed to the divine designation of the priests and their ministry and how God's people could get close to God through the ministry of the Levites. So as we can see inside the ark, we find specific instructions, the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the instructions For God's people, the divine disposition that would maintain the life of his children through heavenly food, the manna, God's word and the grace that sealed the commitment to save his people even when they were unfaithful through the priesthood and ministry of the Levites, Aaron's rod. Now, the ark has the Ten Commandments. It was supposed to be inside like a hidden treasure in the most holy place. So that that brings me to the first analogy. Don't you think that God's treasure, the Ten Commandments, should also be in a very nice hidden place? Yeah, we too should have God's treasure, His divine law in the deepest part of our heart and be faithful to its prescriptions. That's what God expects. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is not only the contents, it's the itinerary of the ark. For example, once the ark was instituted, once the sanctuary was built, what did God use to lead the children of Israel on their path to the promised land? Sometimes we think it was the cloud or the pillar of fire. No, it was the ark of the covenant. Okay? So so they departed from the mountain of the Lord on that tremendous journey that was supposed to be three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during that journey, in search for a resting, resting place for them. That's what the Bible says. Numbers 10, verses 33 through 36. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. So it was. Whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, rise up. Okay? Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, when it stopped, he said, return, O Lord to the many thousands of Israel." So, in order to get to the Promised Land, they had to obey God's leading. God had an itinerary established. And a lot of times he wouldn't humble himself to give all the explanations, all the, all the t- details. He just says, he would just say, Hey, let's put those tents down, pick up your stuff, let's go. And he wouldn't really explain, you know, why. But the Lord was determined through these experiences that he wanted to teach his people to follow his word. For them to get to know him as a good God. And to teach that peace and security are obtained only through obedience. Right. Just like Isaiah would say many centuries later. Isaiah 30, 15, 4. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be saved. Be your strength. So what was the role of the ark when the children of Israel finally were introduced into the promised land? You guys remember that? What happened at the Jordan River? Someone can tell me real quick what happened at the Jordan River. Yeah, but what what were the steps in in order for that to happen? When the priests that were carrying the ark stepped into the water, what happened? Well, the river simply might... You know, the, the, the the water was streaming this way all of a sudden it stopped. It became a wall right here, and then the rest of the water just kept going, and all of a sudden, dry land. Dry land. The ark played an important role during their travel through the desert, but it also played an important role when they were introduced into the promised land. The ark was placed in the middle of the river, of course, on dry land now, but it was placed right there and allowed for all the children of Israel to pass to the promised land, and then the ark was carried to the other side. So the ark was placed right there in the middle. And the people of God passed through the river that had been dried up mysteriously and miraculously. That's found in Joshua chapter 3, verse 11 to 17. You guys can read it. You know how the, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and, 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 and the waters that came down from upstream, they just stopped. And, okay? and so the, the whole story here talks about how the priest, through faith, stepped into the water. And it stopped and the miracle took place. Now, all of these stories show us how important it is to follow God. To follow His providence. We should be faithful to His commandments under all circumstances. Because we are also pilgrim. We are also pilgrims traveling towards the promised land. Now, we also find another situation here in the history of the ark. That sacred ark. A tremendous contrast with human presumption. So, where did the ark wander after the sons of Eli extracted it from the tabernacle, thinking presumptuously that it would give them victory in the battle? You guys remember what happened? Let's just go over it real quick. 400 years after the children of Israel had conquered the promised land, neither the ark or the tabernacle had a fixed place. Yeah, we know that God's power was manifested through the ark, especially at the beginning of the, of the conquest. But its major role in Eli's time, you know what it was? The annual day of atonement. That still took place every year. But other than that, we don't have any information of what else happened with the ark or any, any other uh, special uh, activities with, with the ark. But it was during the time of Eli that his two sons, which were totally spiritually, spiritually depraved, you know, they had changed a lot of the temple services, the rituals, they had brought corruption into the, into the service of, of the church. And so, so they came up with this bright idea, which of course was a, a heathen thought. Because the heathens would take their gods to battle. Well, they didn't have any, any gods of, of image but they had the ark. So they came up with this bright idea, let's take the ark, they took it out of the most holy place, and they took it to war, thinking that it was some type of a lucky charm. That because they had the ark with them, they would win the battle. Well, things didn't go as planned, they lost the battle, Eli's sons died in that battle. They did not get the protection from God that they were expecting. So in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it says, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Ophni and Phinehas, they died. So this story teaches a lot of things, okay? Remember, we're learning about history. We're in a history history lesson today. So the story teaches us a lot of things. First of all, it reveals how deep the two sons of Eli had lost their spiritual perception and how they dared to take the ark out of the temple. It's evident that they knew the stories that the Ark had played in the past. But then they had forgotten what had happened to the two sons of Aaron that had introduced strange fire in the temple. They had forgotten the words of God. Leviticus 10.3 And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. They had forgotten what God had said. The sons of Eli, just like many today, forget that invoking God's presence without repentance is Useless. We must take into account all of God's advice. We cannot choose to disobey and then think that God is going to listen to our prayers. That's what the the proverb twenty eight nine says. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers, is an abomination. Another teaching this lives us is that the ark by. And in itself, had no real value. Okay? There, there's no real value in an object. Like I said, this was not a good luck charm. The only thing that really counts is that we pay attention to God's commandments that were inside the ark, that we do His will. And you remember that in those days, the ark could not be seen by nobody but who? Who was the only person that could set eyes on the ark? The high priest, and only one day a year. So all the Israelites that saw the Ark of the Covenant when they took it to war, they all died. They all died. The Philistines, on the other hand, they saw the ark. They they actually took the ark away. The Israelites, you know, they, they, they were really sad because they had lost something that was really precious to them. They were weeping. Because in a certain sense, the glory of God had been trespassed to their enemies. So even if the Philistines did see the ark and didn't die at that moment, we'll see what happens later, the children of Israel were dismayed. Yet God, he wanted to show his supremacy. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need nobody's help. So God decides to show his supremacy, his holiness. And you know what he does? What happened with the Philistines? Oh yes, he brought terrible judgments upon them. That nation that was oppressing God's people. Their gods would start falling apart in front of the ark. The ark was there and all of a sudden their gods would just fall in a thousand pieces. And then there was pestilence. There was illness. There were situations within the city where the ark was so they would take it to another city. The Philistines would take it to another city. And what do you think happened in that city? Pestilence, Death. Terrible situations. So there we have it. Seven months. (laughs) Seven months. The ark was going from city to city among the Philistines. And they were having a terrible time. Now, this teaches us an important lesson. Even though God wants us to enroll as his followers, God wants us to serve Him. He wants us to identify with His people. He wants us to identify with His mission here on earth. He doesn't need us to defend Him. He doesn't need us to reveal His glory. Yes, He does deposit His grace in us and makes us light bearers of the gospel, but that's for our own good. Because God could have just used angels to spread the gospel. Yes or no? Yeah, He could have done that, but He decided to do it through us. So just remember, no one is indispensable. In order for God to fulfill his design, you are not indispensable. He can call others when you don't want to do what you ought to do. Now the ark returns to the Israelites, and this is an interesting fact because history tells us that once the, once the Philistines were fed, fed up with everything that was going down, they set the ark in a cart led by some cows with no one guiding them. Now you tell me if we don't have an awesome God. You know where those cows went? They went straight to where the ark was supposed to be. <laughs> oh man, this, this is incredible. So, so, so here we have this car, driven by some cows, and, and they return to the land of Israel. God leading the cows, of course. So even the faithfulness of these animals were in total contrast to the infidelity of rational creatures. In other words, animals in many respects sometimes are better than humans. And that's what we find in Isaiah, right? Isaiah 1.3 says, The ox knows his owner, (laughs) and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. So the joy of the Israelites was followed by tragic anguish when 50,070 of them were killed because they looked inside the ark. Yeah. They didn't consider its holiness. So the ark remained in the house of Abinadad and his son Eliezer was the one that was supposed to protect the, the ark. But then it came to a time, we're talking about a half a century later <laughs> after it was in, in, in this guy's house, That David said, I would love for God's presence to be in my city, the city of David in Jerusalem. So I'm going to bring that ark back home. So he wants to bring the ark home. But then another son of Abinadad committed a terrible sin. You remember 2 Samuel 6 verses 6 to 10. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. If God had already led the cows, you think that God was going to allow his ark to fall? But this guy, he had been around sacred things all his life. I mean, his dad was a priest. He was a priest. He was around sacred things all his life. He had forgotten what sacred means. And that can happen here in church too. Sometimes we can just get so accustomed to sacred things that we forget that we're in the house of God and we're talking about the movie we saw last week. Yes. We're thinking about the car we're going to buy. So here we have those, you know, you can read it there in, in chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. You, the whole story is right there. So what happens? So, so I, I do want you to go there. Second Samuel 6, from 6 to 10, but we're just going to reach after uh, the verse 8. And on, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Berez uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Jitai. So, even though David believed that God had blessed him, that God was blessing his kingdom, ah, he didn't feel that he was sufficiently prepared to have the ark of God and the glory of God with him. You know, it takes preparation. So, he takes it to to this guy's house named Obed. He kept it there three months. And you know what? I find this astonishing. The Bible says, that's why history is so important. The Bible says that during those three months he blessed the house of Obed and Obed in incredible ways, Amen. not only financially and spiritually, this' just health, everything, just because he was willing to take care of the ark. And it went way beyond those three months. Have you studied the story? I mean, it went way beyond those three months, those blessings. But then David did a great preparation, and he had the ark taken. To his city. And that's when we find the story. Remember when, when David was, is dancing around the ark. You know he's just so happy. That the ark is going back home. So he's dancing in front of the ark. In front of all the people. He forgot all the formalities. <laughs> he forgot all the ceremonies. He forgot his position. He, he forgot his, his hierarchy. All he wanted was for God to bless. His people. Here we learn how God wants to bless us. But we must be humble enough. When we're in his presence, seeking his will. So we must remember that God's glory shone on the ark only when? The day of atonement, and only to the high priest. So we're not going to go too, too deep into this, but we just want to remember that all those that did look inside the ark, they all died. They all died because they violated this requirement. So today that we, we are studying this, we must remember that we cannot go before God presumptuous thinking that we can get close to sacred things and yet not give due attention to what God requires. Now, the ark and the tabernacle in two distinct places. But let's go a little bit further in history. So now we have, David has the ark in a certain place, but the tabernacle is in another city. So so imagine how hard that made it for them to fulfill all the requirements of the ceremonies, of all the feasts. So, So literally... You know, in David's time, the ark and the tabernacle were in two different places. So a lot of the rituals and ceremonies were literally interrupted. They were interrupted. From the time that the tabernacle had been taken out of the sanctuary by Eli and his sons, it did not find a resting place until Solomon built that magnificent temple. So the next question is, what happened when Solomon brought the ark And the tabernacle, listen to this, and the tabernacle, to the temple that he had built in the beginning of his reign. So let's recall what happened. So it's inauguration day. And how did God approve of what was going on? The Bible says that God is a consuming what? (laughs) A consuming fire. So fire comes down from heaven, consumes the, 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 the sacrifice. The fire literally goes into all the temple. It fills the whole temple. Imagine how incredible that was. Confirming his promise that he wanted to dwell among his people. So the glory of God rested on the Ark of the Covenant. That is the reason why it has to be in the most holy place and dwell in the temple. And and, and history tells us that Solomon actually brought the the, the tabernacle of Moses. You remember the, the, the tent one? And you know where he put it? Inside the temple. So when you go in the temple, you'd see another temple. That's why it's actually called the house of the tabernacle. There are, are, are biblical writers that call the temple of Solomon the house of the tabernacle because he literally had the tabernacle inside the temple. Isn't that amazing? Sad to say there were many times when God's people departed from God and Jerusalem passed through oof, many difficulties. So the Ark was definitely hidden when? If you go to history, it was hidden right before the Babylonians took Jerusalem. It was hidden. And only uh, Indiana Jones knows where it is. I'm just joking. So, so we don't know where it's at. We don't know where it's at. Okay? Uh, the people that hid it died before the end of captivity. So we don't know where it was hidden. Then Babel builds the new temple smaller and not so glorious as Solomon's temple, but it was a temple where the desire of ages was going to be. <laughs> so uh, when he built that, and then finally Herod remodeled it, beautified it. You know what was in the place where the, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be? Since they had vanished, it was gone. They just put this big, flat stone awaiting the day when the Ark would be found and God's glory would come back to the temple. So that, that's what they did, you know. They they just they just had, they just put this big big rock there. Now, when they came back from captivity, listen to this, they refabricated everything of the temple. When they came back from, from Babylon, so they, they built the altar of sacrifice, they built the the the, the brass uh, base, you know, where the the, the priest would wash. They built the candlesticks. They built the table with the showbread. They built the altar of gold, you know, the incense altar. But there was something they could not rebuild. They could not rebuild. And they did not dare rebuild or refabricate the Ark of the Covenant because it represented the visible throne of God. And that is eternal, and it cannot be replaced. Now, God's rest. Have you heard that term, God's rest? Have you guys read like Hebrews 4? <laughs> okay. God's rest and the ark in the temple. So this is the, the next part of history. Once God has given his people rest from their enemies in the land that he has promised, he gave an order. Now we have a new name for the ark of the covenant, the ark of the testament. We have a new name. The ark, listen to this, the ark of his power. <laughs> Okay, and and he gave the orders that that needed to be put inside the temple in the most holy place to find rest there forever. In other words, if his people were faithful to the covenant, he was willing to live with them forever and to keep their enemies away so they would find political rest. But most of all, they would find spiritual rest, freedom from their sins, freedom from the worst enemy, Satan. Second Chronicles six forty one. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, to your resting place. Listen to this, your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. There's a special psalm that talks about this. Psalm one thirty two seven and eight says, "Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool." And now listen to this. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you. And the ark of your strength. In verse 12 and 14 it says. If your sons will keep my my covenant. And my testimony which I will teach them. Their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. For I have desired it. So once they rebuilt the temple. Once Herod had beautified it, he had made it a lot, you know, just put a lot of marble and just made it grander. The Ark of the Covenant, now the Ark of his strength, was to find its permanent resting place. But that didn't happen because they rejected the Messiah. But, but, But listen to this. The rest that this is talking about is a symbol of the heavenly rest. The rest that God will give all of those who embrace his covenant and are faithful. It's a symbol of life in the city of God and having access to his temple in heaven. Now, I want to go back just a little bit more in history because I'm going to end with this. Did you guys know that there's a relationship between the fall of Jericho and the seventh trumpet of Revelation? Amen. Huh? Let, let's figure this one out, okay? Joshua chapter 6, verse 13 through 16. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of rams... The ram horns uh, before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did that six days, right? That's what it says there at the end of verse 14. Verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened that when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the walls came falling down. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Seven times the Hebrews gave the warning around the city. They made the the trumpet sound. But the inhabitants of Jericho hardened their hearts. If they would have had the heart of Rahab, listen to me, if they would have had the heart of Rahab, what do you think God would have done with all those people? He would have forgiven them just like he did the Ninevites centuries later. He would not have destroyed Jericho. But they heard the trumpets, but they hardened their hearts. Yes, they did not listen to God's voice, His warning, and they lost literally everything. They lost the battle of life. Now, the ark and the heavenly sanctuary and the sound of the seventh trumpet. So I want you guys to make the connection. What did John see in the heavenly sanctuary after the sound of the seventh trumpet in Revelation? And what did that produce? Okay, so let's, let's, let's see what happens. So let, let's jump to the other extreme. Let's go to the book of Revelation, the last book of God's word. And let's see how something very similar to Jericho takes place. God sends the seven trumpets, warning the oppressor. Then the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet that reveals the Ark of the Covenant, the heavenly sanctuary, gives its definite sound and God destroys his enemies Forever. So, so let, let, let's go to the Bible so you guys can see this clearly. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now look at verse 18 and 19. We're in Revelation 11. Revelation 11, verse 18 and 19. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great. You shall destroy those who destroy the earth. Verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightning, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hell. So the first six judgments, the first six trumpets have sounded. But the warning signs have been despised by the nations. But at the end of this world, yes. And they're still despising God's messengers and God's message. But, but here we see the seventh trumpet. The final trumpet. Announcing the final punishment. This punishment is announced by the seventh trumpet. Yes. The seventh trumpet, according to Revelation, is going to show God's glory Naked. No incense, no cloud of mercy, nothing will hide his wrath. So it's really weird when we talk about the wrath of God because for us the Seventh-day Advent is the most beautiful quality of God. The most wonderful attribute is that God is, can't hear you, tell your neighbor God is love. Yeah, but here it's talking about God's wrath. So in this context, John sees the final judgment of the nations, the end of this world, but he also sees the Ark of the Covenant. Follow me, please. There are the Ten Commandments written by his fingers announcing the importance of the last remnant. And what is the last remnant doing? Keeping the commandments of God. They have the testimony of Jesus and the faith of Jesus. So make the connection. Yes, when that seventh trumpet sounds and that ark is seen, God is announcing that only those that have a covenant with him will be saved. Only those that are keeping his commandments will be saved. Now, do you think it's going to come a time when the ark will not draw attention anymore? Yeah? (laughs) So I was surprised... When I was preparing the sermon. So, why do you think, according to Jeremiah, that there will come a day when the ark will be nonsense? It will not draw our attention anymore. Remember, like we have mentioned, the only furniture in the sanctuary which was not reconstructed was what? The ark. The ark. When they came back from the Babylonian captivity, right? They did not dare rebuild it because it represents God's throne and God's throne is irreplaceable. Furthermore, in the ark were the two tables of stone written by the finger of God. So how can you refabricate that? I mean, that's impossible. They were not going to be able to refabricate those, those 10 commandments. <clears throat> they could not replace the originals, in other words. and. Do you think that we can replace those Ten Commandments and write them in our heart just because it's a good idea? Or is that the work of the Holy Spirit? Just like God wrote those commandments with his finger, he needs to write them in our heart. Now listen. We have discussed how John in Revelation sees the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. Drawing the attention of the nations that it is the end of this world. It is evident, it is very evident that God wants this world full of sin to have present in their conscience that there is an ark that holds the Ten Commandments of the Covenant that constitute the base of His judgment that will determine the destiny of every single soul. Yeah, Jeremiah announces that there will be a time and that will be a glorious time when our redemption has been consumed. That the ark will not draw our attention anymore. So let's read it, Jeremiah 3, verse 16 and 17. Then it shall come to pass, when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. Verse 17, at that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil heart. The fact is, nobody will remember the Ark of the Covenant. And you know why? See, Jeremiah is is doing a huge contrast between the people lamenting the disappearance of of the Ark with the experience of the redeemed that will live in God's presence forever and have the guarantee of heavenly rest. Then, of course, we have the prophecy of the new covenant, you know, that, that, that is in Jeremiah where it says that he will write his laws in our hearts and in our, in our minds. In other words, when God restores everything and his law is written in our hearts and written in our minds, we won't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore. It'll be done with. Our characters will never change. In other words, our Christ-likeness will not be erased. The throne of God will not be shut in some most holy place, but will extend everywhere. And He will live with His people forever. And He will be in our hearts forever. So I want to conclude with the the following. So we, we remember that on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go and make judgment upon the children of Israel. And that was just in typology, biblical typology, it was just a representation of what Jesus is doing now after 1844 when he has begun judgment. So Jesus, our high priest, is in the heavenly sanctuary. And what is he doing? He's finishing his work of intercession, but more than that, he is judging this world. He is judging this world. We must remember that his throne... Is not only founded on grace and mercy, but also justice. Psalm 89 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So here are the questions for us as I close How do you feel when you recognize that there is an ark of the covenant in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary? How, how do you react? To the calling of the Holy Spirit to write that law in your heart. To write that law in your mind. Six trumpets have already given their sound, revealing God's judgment. God has started to sound the final judgment, the the seventh trumpet. The last trumpet. Remember what they see when, when, when... When the seventh trumpet sounds, they see the Ark of the Covenant in the heavenly sanctuary. That last trumpet points us to the Ark of the Covenant that has the Ten Commandments. The question is, how many of us are willing to follow God's commandments, to be faithful to Him till the end? And even more, how many of you would like today to have your sins atoned for How many of you would like to accept the grace of Jesus Christ once again? Say, thank you, Jesus, for being in the heavenly sanctuary and taking care of me. Does anyone today here and those online want to receive Jesus in your heart again and ask him to write his law in your minds and in your heart? Is that your wish? Can you stand up? Let's stand up and sing our closing song together, and then we'll pray and ask God to accomplish his will in each one of us.
1: Thank you, Pastor, for the wonderful uh, history of the Ark of the Convenant. I remember the message sitting there. Uh, that's the only thing I used to remember. More about Jesus I will know More of his grace to others show More of his fullness More of his love he died for me More, more about Jesus More, more about Jesus More of his serving fullness more of his love, he died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his all, I will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be. Showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus, more, more about Jesus. More of his serving fullness, him. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus in his word Holding communion with my Lord Hearing his voice in every line Making it faithful, saying, hey. More, more about Jesus more, more about Jesus More of his serving fullness same. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, on his throne Riches in glory, all his own More of his kingdom, world and grace more of his coming, Prince of Peace, More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his fullness full, More of his life, for me. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God,
0: we have... Answered your call. We have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior once again. We want to live in your presence. We want to be guided by your Holy Spirit. We want your law written in our hearts and in our minds. And we want to live with you forever. But for now, it's just about more about Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.